And in case you're not sure what team to be on, my grandson is going to help you here. He's on the God team, okay? My daughter-in-law said it was the gap, but it's the God team. And his dad is on the God team too. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, but in, but in the, uh, uh, the football world, since Pastor Travis is a Patriots fan, I'm going to be an Eagles fan tonight. Yes, I am because their, past, or their, their uh, quarterback, Foles, uh, he wants to be a pastor when he gets out of football. So all Tom Brady wants is another ring now. Come on. All right. Hey, let's get in the Bible together. Acts chapter 20. Glad you're here this morning. Acts chapter 20. Let's pick up where we left off last week. Actually, before we do that, I forgot something. I want to show you a little quick little uh, audio file, a little video uh, to celebrate generosity. Uh, we've got a team doing a missions, uh, a missions event. They're leaving Tuesday, going to Thailand and Burma. Take a little peek at this, and they want to say thanks. I am so proud of our church and your generosity. My team leaves Tuesday for Thailand and Burma to minister in four different locations at women's and pastor's conferences and in children's outreaches and orphanages. We have nine bags packed full of children's clothing and backpacks and gifts for the women's conferences. Because of your generosity, we are able to bring in money to help 75 children in three different orphanages. We are bringing in money to purchase mattresses and bedding, clothing, school supplies, and food for these children. And out of our general giving, we are able to purchase a generator for the orphanage in Yangon so the well can pump water for the children. My faith was stretched to believe for 51 children to be sponsored, and your generosity exceeded my expectations. Thank you for your heart for the world. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to use that picture of generosity and pick up where we left off last week. Acts chapter 20, if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, Paul writing to the Ephesian elders, Paul said, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and, you might circle that, and even the needs of those who are with me. In other words, Paul said, I'm not just working to make money for myself. I'm not just working for needs and enjoyment. I want to use part of what God gives me to be a blessing to other people. He even says it again, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. And then he said this, he said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And it's the only quote, uh, actually one of the few quotes in the book of Acts from Jesus himself, when Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that's where we focused last week. It's a broad subject, but the idea is a blessing that comes to us uh, as we give and as we share uh, with other people. Now last week we talked about giving to God's work. You remember if you were here last week, we talked about the motivations for uh, every church in America uh, as we gather this weekend. There'll be a segment of the, of the service where people will literally give an offering. Uh, how many know God doesn't send an angel to come and pick it up? You don't throw it in the air and God catches it. But you give it to his work through the local church. Well, last week we learned there's four reasons that we do this. Most importantly, whenever I give to God's work, it's to honor and thank God for his goodness to us. I mean, no, there's no better reason than that. We give for obedience. The Bible teaches us to do that. The tithe belongs to the Lord. We also learned last week that we give because of needs or opportunities. And that's why I share with you as we show these pictures of these little orphan kids. It was an opportunity to be able to, to give and make a difference. And then the last thing we talked about is our giving is it, 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 we give to God's work in expectation of a promised blessing. In other words, God says, as you give, that I'm going to give to you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to begin a cycle in your life where I take care of you. 
Now, last week, that's what we talked about, but I want to kind of linger on this scripture from a different perspective this morning. I want to focus on what Paul said, I work to take care of myself, but I also work to help other people. Now, I suggest to you that Paul was a generous man, and this morning I want to talk about, I'm called the message, In Pursuit of Generosity. Generosity, not just giving to God's work in church, but generosity as a, as a way of life of helping people and of blessing people. Uh, Paul said twice the reason that I worked was for a kingdom purpose to be able to help those that were poor and needy. Now, how many know if you go to Starbucks, if you're a single man and there's a cute waitress that you want to get to know and you buy your coffee and give her a $20 tip, how many know that is not generosity? That is trying to get a date, okay? That's trying to get her attention. But when I'm talking about generosity this morning, I'm trying to tie it into helping people in the Lord's name. I'm trying to tie it into God's work and some advancement of the kingdom. Um, Paul is our example in this. He was a generous man. And generosity is a biblical theme. You look throughout the Bible. I mean, no, Joseph loaned Jesus uh, a tomb for a couple days. He was generous. He shared his tomb. How many know uh, Jesus fed a group of 20,000 people, 5,000 men, women, and kids, all because a little boy shared his lunch? I doubt when Peter was trying to feed this large group of people to figure out what to do, he didn't go and steal the boy's lunch, and he probably didn't pay him five bucks for it. Likely, this boy shared that. How many know if you, if you were to, uh, to read about the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan found a complete stranger... And this good Samaritan paid for his hotel room for a few days. He paid for his food. He was generous and he shared. We look throughout the pages of the Bible, the Philippians, for example. A, a whole, the whole book of Philippians is written as a missionary thank you letter. They're being generous to support God's work to, to help Paul. So generosity is a, is a Christian virtue. It is something that I aspire to as a Christian. And simply this morning, I want to encourage you to develop a generous heart and a generous heart to advance God's kingdom. Now, Proverbs chapter 11 is where I want to begin, but I want to share kind of a little funny kids video. It's, a, it's, a just, it's very short, but it's about sharing and holding on. It's about selfishness and being generous. Take a little peek at these kids, and I think they'll make you laugh, and perhaps we'll see ourselves. Turn to your neighbor and say, that could be you as a grown-up little boy or little girl. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this. How many of it's hard to share if you're a little kid with your little, uh, with your little Cheetos or Cheerios or if you're a big kid as well? 
it's just a part of our nature. Um, Proverbs eleven twenty four. though, I, I want to look at a lot of Bible verses. Uh, it, it's my intent to help you learn the Bible when you come and, and, and listen to the Word of God. Uh, I'm not really good about hyping people up and just kind of, you know, uh, uh, stirring and shouting, but I want to teach you the Bible. Uh, I'm going to look at about six different passages today and show you that generosity is deeply rooted in the Bible, but it's a blessing that God promises to generous people. It's not just that I give away and I have less, but I set in motion a cycle of giving and receiving. Proverbs 11:24 talks about this. It says, "Give freely and yeah, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything." And then it makes this statement that the generous person will prosper. Those who help others will themselves be helped. So here's my question for you. How is it possible to give freely and have more? How, is it, how, is it, how can I give away what I have and somehow end up with more? Well, I suggest to you it's because you open the door. It's an invitation when you give and are generous for God to bless you. When you open your hands, God sees and God blesses us. It is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, how many know uh, you cannot gauge this over you know, giving on Sunday and expecting a check in the mailbox on Monday? I suggest you look at it as a lifestyle that we live. I suggest that you look at the fruits of generosity over time in your life and over the seasons of life. I mean, there's always ups and downs. There were famines in the Bible. There were difficult times. But God's people bounced back, and they bounced back quicker, and they went further in what they did. But God promises to, to, to be a blessing to us as we're a blessing to people. Now, this idea of generosity, by definition, it means freely giving something another person needs. Freely giving to help another person or, or sharing with a cause. The picture of generosity that comes to my mind when I think about it, I, I think of my grandmother. She immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. The, uh, the Russians came in their home in the middle of the night after they had taken over their nation. They'd taken the guns away from the citizens. Then they came in in the middle of the night to arrest leading citizens. And my grandfather was the postmaster. Well, anyway, they, they're leaving there, and they're making a, a trek ultimately to end up in America. But I believe they're in Germany, and they're just kind of wandering across Europe. Uh, they're poor. They don't have much of anything. She said I, I, she had just a little bit of bread to share with her family at night. And as she gives a little bit to each of her kids, and she has a, a half a piece of bread for herself, she said she looked across the way, and there was another family and two little children that were hungry and didn't have anything were looking at her. And she looked at her piece of bread. She said, how could I eat it? And she said, I gave it to those little children. And tears came in coming down her eyes as an 85-year-old woman telling her life story. That's generosity. That is a, a Christian biblical virtue, not expecting or looking for anything in return. I mean, no, we don't give to get. But as a Christian, when I give, I do get. Let me say that again. I don't give to get. That is not my motivation. God is not like, you know, you put your quarter in the, the little toy machine in Albertsons and out comes the whatever it is, the gum. God's not like that. God's not a slot machine. I don't have, I, but I have faith to believe that as I participate in this generous lifestyle, God blesses me. Stingy on the opposite is the opposite of generous. To be stingy means to be selfish and unwilling to share. And the proverb speaks to this as well. Proverbs 28 says the stingy are the selfish are eager to get rich, but they're unaware that, that poverty awaits them. Why is that? Because they ultimately quench the flow of God's blessing in their lives. 
Now, there's a passage in Deuteronomy 15 that illustrates this. Deuteronomy 15, God said to the Jewish people, when you happen on someone who needs help, don't look the other way pretending you don't see him. Now, I can't tell you where to draw the line with this. When I was in uh, Fort Worth several, de- several weeks ago at Rebecca's cheer competition, it was by the downtown bus station, and several people approached me saying, can you give me a bus ticket, can you give me some food? I can't tell you who to help or how many to help, but I will tell you that it's better to live life with an open hand than a closed hand. Notice what he says, when someone happen, needs help, don't look the other way pretending you don't see, and don't keep a tight grip on your purse. Some translations say be hardened. Don't be hardened in your heart. Don't be tight-fisted. And the reason is very simple because there's a belief that if I let go of something, I'm going to have less. If I give something to help a person, to invest in a cause, to, to, to further God's need, if I invest in this little orphan, this little guy captured, captured my attention. His name is Nishwi No, I think, 11 years old. He's in an orphanage. He doesn't have a mom or a dad. And outside of this orphanage, he probably hadn't any, had any Christian influence. But here's a boy created in the image of God that has a destiny. He's growing up in either a Hindu or a Muslim world or even perhaps an atheist world. But I wanted him to know that Christians care and Christians love. And who knows what destiny God might have on this little boy's life. And when it comes to I mean, listen, if you have enough to do both, if you have enough to buy the new turkey decoy and help the little boy, how many know you do both? But sometimes it comes down to the fact I've only have a chance to do one. And this is a challenge sometimes in, in my life, but, but I read this, and Scripture tells me don't keep too tight a grip on your purse. Notice what it said. Look at him and lend whatever he needs. Don't listen to the selfish voice in your head that says it's almost the seventh year, the year of all debts are canceled. Now, if you read back chapter 15, verse 1, the Jews had a, 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 an epic economic principle that every seven years all debts would be forgiven. Wouldn't it be great if you got a note from MasterCard at the end of seven years saying you don't have to pay the rest of it? Wouldn't it be ne- uh, great for your mortgage company who offered you a 30-year mortgage Wouldn't it be great if they said after seven years, paid in full, don't worry about this. That was their way of kind of keeping their economy level and not getting... We we can't even fathom the amount of unfunded liabilities and the debts that we owe as American people today. I mean, it is just astronomical going out the roof and it seems like no end in sight, but it's got to be an end in sight. Well, anyway, in their mind, they're thinking... Uh, if I'm going to have to forgive this debt in seven years and it's year six and I see a needy person and this is where the rub is. Can I trust God when I'm generous to help people in the name of the Lord? Can I trust God to provide back for me even though I may not be able to receive it back in my hands through my own means and ingenuity? But notice what it says. Verse 10, give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. And this scripture is profound. The way you handle matters like this triggers your God's blessing in everything you do. It acts like a trigger. If you go in, the, if you go in your house and it's dark at night and you hit a light switch, that light switch is a trigger for electricity to flow through the circuit into the light and light fills the room. Well, in the same way, generosity is a trigger for God to bless us in ways that we know and understand, and then in unseen or unanticipated ways. Uh, let's keep reading another passage of Scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
God promises to bless us in accordance with our generosity. I want to say that again. God promises to bless us in accordance with our generosity. Now listen to the passage in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul is receiving an offering. We alluded to another portion of this passage, not this one, but another portion last week. And, and, and Paul is receiving a special offering to help the Jews in Jerusalem. The, there's a famine that was prophesied by Agabus, and it's happening. People are hungry. Uh, uh, there's trouble in the land, and he's going around all the Gentile churches receiving an offering to help them. And listen to what he says. Paul said this in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, he's likening generosity or giving to a farmer planting seeds. Uh, it's time to start planting winter stuff in the garden or at least early spring. And I went to the feed store this week and I bought some potatoes. I bought 10 pounds of potatoes. I got 7 or 8 pounds of the red potatoes and some white potatoes. Well, let me know, I can take those seeds home. Those seed potatoes is what they're called. Well, you can chop them up and put them in the pot and make mashed potatoes. And let me know when you've done that, they're gone. But if you take that same potato and you cut it up maybe in fourths, there's an eye in each little section, and you put that seed in the ground, that seed is going to produce four, five, six different potatoes under if the conditions are right. So I've taken one potato. I could put it in and make mashed potatoes. It would be just enough for me one time. Or I could cut that potato in fourths, have four potato vines, and likely get 25 potatoes out of that. Well, now that's what he's saying about giving. Now, I, I was a part of the Christian world in the 90s, and I think this scripture was abused to the degree because it was tapping into hedonism, it was tapping into greed, it, it, it became a means just give so you can get something back from God, and we lost the whole meaning of it. Well, how many know you don't respond to an extreme with an extreme? Just because a truth has been abused doesn't mean that it still shouldn't live in our heart in a balanced way. So what Paul is saying, Paul is not trying to manipulate these people into giving, he is, uh, inspired scripture is trying to encourage people to show them that as they give, it's a spiritual truth, God will bless them in their generosity. And again, you're not, look, listen, I don't know if I've ever gotten a check in the mail next, next day. I, that's not what I look for. I look for God blessing me in the seasons of my life. I look for God making a way for my kids to go to college, for God making a way for retirement, for God making a way to enjoy the things of life. It's a life that we live, not a moment-by-moment -moment experience. Uh, and how many know anybody can be generous? We'll see this in just a second. Verse 7 says, Each one of you must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And again, generosity is not a gimmick. I mean, the, the, the Bible also teaches us that if you, don't, uh, if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. In other words, if you don't work and care for your family, the Bible teaches us to pay our bills, to keep our word. Well, guess what? A little giving on Sunday or a giving on Tuesday to help a poor person is not going to help you be blessed if you're lazy, come on now, and if you're not paying your bills. It's a lifestyle that we live. So we've all got to look at our lives and look at our hearts. We've got to plan our budget, plan for the future. But we've also got to look at things like this. Because when I just consume and spend, God, listen, I pray every day as the Bible, Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, give me daily bread. I pray that every day. 1 Timothy 6 tells me that I, God gives me things to enjoy, and I like to enjoy nice things. Don't ever feel guilty if you enjoy what God gives you. But somewhere in all of this, I want to make a place for generosity. 
Now look at verse 8. Here's what he said after he's talked about your giving is like seeds. He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. In other words, God can set in motion this principle of blessing that can follow you because it has a supernatural element to it. And then he says, having all sufficiency at all things at all times, you can abound in every good work. In other words, God wants to bless those seed potatoes so you can have not just 25, uh, 25 meals of mashed potatoes, but so you can give some of those. It's a pattern of blessing in our life, of giving and receiving. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 9, He is distributed freely, He's given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. Now that's a quote from Psalm 111, verse 9, The poor is the person who's destitute. In the Greco-Roman world, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, in their culture, it would, they, they believed it was pointless to give anything to a pauper. Anybody that was poor or a beggar, listen, we can't understand this in our culture because gratefully we have a, a government system of providing and caring for poor people. But in their day, they'd walk by a beggar and they would say, it's useless because they can never pay me back. Well, how many know as a Christian, we don't give for payback? We don't give for thanks. The Bible even says that Jesus even said, let your giving be in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But God sees this. And our giving into God's work, our giving into helping people, becomes an invitation for the Lord to bless us. Verse 10, he brings it back to the farmer, and it's talking about God. God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. When I bought those potatoes to plant my garden, I was buying it for seed, not for food. And how many know when God entrusts you with wealth, when I put my money in the bank, part of that is bread, and I'm grateful for it, but part of it is seed. Part of it becomes opportunity to be able to, to make an investment that's going to make a difference in the lives of people in the Word. Notice what it says, God is going to supply and multiply your seed for sowing. We take it for granted, but when you plant, listen, I planted a little broccoli plant yesterday, and I could have taken that broccoli plant, and I could have chopped it up in a salad, and it would have been about two teaspoons full. Or I can put that thing in the ground, and hopefully it'll bear a head of broccoli that big, and it'll be enough for us to eat on broccoli for a week. And we get used to that in the natural world, but the Bible says there's a spiritual process that works in the same way. Verse 11 says you'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous in every way. How I many know we, don't, we eat our bread, but we sow our seed? Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now let's look at another passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 2. And I'll make this, I, I, I want to ask you a question. Why has God prospered us? Why is it that I can look in my closet and see a bunch of shirts and a bunch of shoes? Why is it that I can look in my bank account and likely I have more today than I had yesterday? Why has God given this to me? Is it just for my daily bread? Is it just for my enjoyment? Or is it possible God wants me to connect with a need or a kingdom purpose? And this is his next point. I believe that God will often bless us so we can advance a kingdom purpose. Now let's go to Acts chapter 22. I want to take a picture at the early church, the early disciples, the earliest Christians. The church is born on the day of Pentecost. And what's happened in the book of Acts, these, uh, they would make pilgrimage to, to uh, Jerusalem. They'd make pilgrimage there several times a year for the key Jewish feasts. 
just like modern-day Muslims will, will, in the course of their life, visit Mecca. Well, they've got all these Jews across the Roman Empire. They show up in Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost comes. Peter is preaching, and thousands of people come to Christ. The first number, it says 3,000 people make steps to Christ, and they're added you know, uh, exponentially from there. So now you've got all these Christians, and it's like they came, if I can use the phrase, they came to Jerusalem on vacation. They brought a suitcase or two. They brought, uh, I mean, no, they didn't have bank cards. They didn't have debit cards where you could put in the computer, and the bank in, you know, California could authorize you money in the ATM in Texarkana. They didn't have that. They had to bring with them uh, uh, their provision, or they had to use their skills to take care of themselves. And the problem was nobody would hire the Christians because the Jews hated them. So now you've got these thousands of people that have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, that don't have any place to stay, they don't have food, and this is how the passage unfolds. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. Verse 45 is a big one. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. It's what we do. For example, if, if, if let's say we had an ice storm, and it just happened that uh, maybe there was a, 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 a high school reunion in town. And your friends were in town, and uh, they stayed at your house. You said, yeah, come on over. We'll relive the old days. We'll play cards or whatever. Well, the ice storm comes in, and they're stuck for a week. Well, how many know you're not going to put them and their little babies and kids in your car on the slick ice and say, oh, no, you're just going to give them a bedroom. You're going to make a place because you want to share with them in an hour of need. Well, that's exactly what's, what's happening here. Look at verse 46. They worshiped at the temple. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God. And otherwise, it was not some tight-fisted thing where God said, you're going to take care of those new Christians, and I'm going to make you. No, it, it came from their hearts. And, and the next verse is what, what gives us context for all of this. Each day, the Lord added for their fellowship those who were being saved. In other words, there was a kingdom purpose that motivated them to do it. I don't believe you can take that scripture and say that's what all Christians are supposed to do. You're supposed to live in communes and sell your homes. No, but God was at work, and people saw it, and they said, I want to invest in what God's doing, and they took their generosity, and they moved the kingdom of God forwards. So when we ask the question, why am I blessed with material prosperity? Certainly it's to answer Jesus' cry for daily bread. Certainly it's 1 Timothy 6 for enjoyment. But lastly, it's so we might be able to be generous to share in a kingdom purpose, a higher purpose in something that God's doing on the earth. If I can read a supportive scripture there, uh, it's back in 2 Corinthians 8. Remember when we are talking about the offering for the Jews and the famine? Notice this what he said. Paul said, I don't mean your giving uh, should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. In other words, I'm not, trying, I'm not saying you be poor so somebody else can have something, but listen to what he's saying. I only mean there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty, and you can help people who are in need. And later, they'll have plenty and can share with you when you need it. And in this way, things will be equal. Now, this is not Christian communism. It's not government redistribution of wealth. But it's Christians being used open-handedly in a process to be able to bless and help and share. And how many know generosity is a biblical virtue? 
Now listen, we discourage in church people going around asking other people to give them something. That is not the way to do it. If you have a need in our church, we have a benevolence department. People give. They designate money. Uh, every month, uh, several thousand dollars are given towards benevolence. They designate benevolence because the church shouldn't be a place where people hustle each other. The church wants to help, but we help you know, through, our, uh, through our giving. But this process, this idea is that God wants to use me to help other people because it just could be one day that when I'm in need, God will use somebody to help me. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, let me illustrate this. 1 Kings chapter 17. God could well use my generosity today to meet my needs tomorrow. And I want you to hear me today, whether you, and, and particularly if you find yourself in a tight spot. Maybe you're a teenager and you don't have a lot of money. Or maybe you're an adult and don't have a lot of money. I want you to listen to this story. And I want you to see that today's giving is like a seed that can become tomorrow's provision. Probably in a week or so, I'm going to plant some carrots in my garden. And I will not eat that little carrot probably, I don't know how long a carrot takes, 70 or 80 days. But it takes a long time to grow, but God watches the process. Now, let's look at an Old Testament passage. 1 Kings chapter 17, it's about Elijah. Elijah was the great prophet in the Old Testament. He's prophesied because of Israel's sin, there's going to be a drought, and the drought's going to produce a famine, and the famine will be a form of judgment or discipline to get the attention of the, of the children of Israel. So, if you remember this story, Elijah prophesies this famine, and he's living in the wilderness, and there's a brook, or there's a creek, it's got fresh water in it, and that's where he drinks, and he sends a raven to, uh, uh, to feed him every day. Now, that's kind of odd. Uh, I was just thinking about birds just popped in my head, but did you happen to read in the newspaper yesterday, there was this guy that was goose hunting, and he and his buddies were shooting Canada geese, and somebody shot a goose, and he didn't know it, and it fell on his head. <laughs> Knocked him out, went to the hospital, and he had a level of amnesia and bruised up his face. But anyway, if you, if you can imagine a bird feeding you every day, and slowly, 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 the drought, the water's drying up. And all of a sudden, one day, the raven stops coming with food, and now this great man of God, he's in need and hungry, and I want you to see how God meets the needs of two hungry people. 1 Kings 17, verse 8, The Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath. I have instructed a widow to feed you. Now, if the Lord told me a widow was going to feed me, I would assume that she was a trust fund widow. I would assume that her husband was a wealthy business owner. I would assume that her husband had lots of money and she was living the good life and that I was going to go and I was going to get steak and potatoes or whatever you like, whatever the case is. So he goes into this village and isn't it interesting? This is how, this is one reason I don't believe in accidents and luck and coincidence. I believe in divine ordering of our lives when we walk in his will. Verse 10, he sees a widow gathering sticks. This is not the wealthy woman he thought about. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? Now, mind you, it's a drought. We're looking for, and she's going to be generous with this precious commodity. But notice what else she said. She said, he, verse 11, she's going to get the water, but he said, would you bring me a bite of bread? And this is one of the, her response is one of the most pitiful in all of the Bible. She said, I swear by the Lord, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. All I have is a handful of flour left in a jar. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and, my, and I will die. 
Say, I have never been in poverty like that. It's like she was saying, all I have is the end, one end of a loaf of bread that's going stale, and I don't even have mustard or ketchup to make a mustard sandwich. She's poor. Now, she, we would have great pity on her. We would get her signed up for food stamps. We would help her in America today. But she didn't have any source. She was a widow. In their culture, it was not the government or cared or the church that cared. Come on now. Uh, families were supposed to care. And if you didn't have family, you were out on the street. So she is helpless. I bet you she's been praying. But here's what I want you to see. She didn't have enough to share. She's about to die. She's got just a little bit. And I guarantee you she could have done this with her fists and held on tightly. Verse 13, Elijah said, don't be afraid. And I suggest to you this is the biggest reason. In my life, I do this because of fear. Am I going to have enough money to retire? Am I going to have enough money to buy my out-of-state hunting license next year? Come on now. Am I, am I, it's fear. He said this, make a little bread for me first. He was the man of God. It was God's kingdom. And then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Now, she could have either thought, well, if I do that, I'm not going to have anything left. If I do that, I'm really going to have problems. If I do that, I won't even have one satisfied meal. But notice what he says, and this was the word of the Lord. Again, not a gimmick, but she said, this is what the, he said, this is what the Lord says. Something supernatural is going to happen. There's always going to be flour and olive oil left in your container until the time the Lord sends rain and crops to grow again. In other words, God's going to do something supernaturally for you until natural means become available again. And you know what? She did what Elijah said. She gave out of her poverty. Because sometimes we don't just give from our excess. It was excess when I helped this little boy. But sometimes we don't give out of our excess. Sometimes the Lord wants us to do something that's sacrificial and something that's costly. But we could well be investing in our future. And she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family ate many, many days. God responded because she was generous, come on, to the man of God and the work of God. Give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, but that's not only the best part. Look at verse 17. Sometimes later the woman's son became sick and he died. And Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought this tragedy to the widow who opened her home and causing her son to die? For he prayed about it in verse 22. The Lord heard his prayer, and the life of the child returned. You remember last week when I talked to you about God blessing us not just with money, but things that money cannot buy? It could well be that God's provision, our daily bread today, is enough to satisfy our stomach, but our lifestyle of generosity could produce God's favor in areas of our life for things that money cannot buy. And how many know sometimes it's even the best sleeping aids don't give you a good night's sleep? How many know there's not enough money in the world that can pay for a child to live right and not be crazy and not living on the streets and drugging? How many know God has a way of putting favor on our life when we're putting Him first in all we do? Let's, uh, let's close with this scripture, Philippians chapter 4, and I want to underscore one more time this idea of generosity, that God blesses generous people. Philippians 4, it's the New Testament, it's verse 15. Paul made this statement, he said, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help. Now, now for, let me, can you forget that just a second? Take that off the screen. I want to go to this passage that I bet you're familiar with. One of the first scriptures I ever learned in my life was Philippians 4, 19. 
I actually learned Philippians 4.13 that said, I can, do all, uh, that said uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then I learned Philippians 4.19, it says, My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, oh, that's a great scripture. Amen. Do you remember the days when we used to have the precious promise boxes and you might have them on your table and be like a loaf of bread and it would be a little scripture that was written down and you'd read it? And that scripture says, My God shall meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. Well, how many know that scripture is not arbitrary, take it out of the Bible? It's in context. Let's move back to verse 15. And it says, You Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. In other words, he was a traveling missionary and he sowed into them. See, this is one reason when we have guest speakers, particularly missionaries, I always give the church an opportunity to give to them. And it's not because we don't have money in our general fund. It's because I want to give you an opportunity to be able to share and in sowing into the life of, of the work of God. Notice what it says. You gave me and you helped me financially. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help, financial help, more than one time. And I don't say this because I want a gift from you. In other words, he's not just asking to get something. He said, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. I want you to receive a reward. And here's verse 19. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches that have been given to us in Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He said this to people who were generous in the work of God. My friends, listen, we don't give to get, but when we give, God looks at it, sees it as seed, and sets in motion a plan for our future provision. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? I'm sure glad you came today. I don't know what your, your life's about to unfold into today. But I hope, listen, if you've got some time, we've got a great Bible class in the cafe afterwards. We've got donuts and snacks. You can meet people, you know, in the cafe between services. Uh, you want to go out in the lobby. If you've not registered to vote, I sure hope you'll do that. I read a statistic this week that said only 6% of Texans are anticipated to vote in the primary elections. Register to vote if you're not registered. There's that, you know, you can sign up, get information about the, uh, about the, uh, the, the run for Pastor Travis and the kidney donation. Lots of things. Going to our life groups are out there. Uh, you can learn about the life groups. But before you step into all that, could we take just a minute and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me about generosity? What are you saying to my life? Why don't you just bow your head just a moment? Lord, we laughed when we saw that picture of those little kids eating their little crackers. Lord, I want to stand before you today, and I want to ask you to forgive me whenever I'm selfish and stingy. I want to stand before you today and ask you to help me have a generous heart because that's where it was coming from today, not obligation, but from our hearts. And the whole thing that you're concerned about is our hearts. Bible says in Proverbs, out of the heart flow the issues of life. And it's with my heart I want to love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus said, I, I, I can't serve two masters. I can't serve God and money. When my treasure is there, my heart will be also. So Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you today to change my heart. I want to pause just a moment. First of all, I want to, I want to say thank you for what you've provided for me. Could you just get a picture in your mind right now of your closet today? 
whatever you looked at when you put clothes on, could you just say thank God for giving that to you? If you can remember what you had for breakfast this morning or supper last night. Yesterday, Linnell cooked a great lunch. We had, we had pork roast and potatoes and baked beans and slaw. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. Lord, we want to recognize that every good thing comes from your hands to us. And Lord, I today, I don't want to live with tight fists. I want to live with open hands. I want to be a good planner in life. I want to be a good saver. I want to work hard. I want to have a good job. I want to be able to prosper. But I just pray, Lord, that you would help me factor in my life this pattern of generosity. And I do it not expecting to get something or giving to get something, but I also want to have faith to know that when I put my seed in the ground, you're going to make it grow. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. I'm going to just say that out loud. Say, Holy Spirit, welcome. The Bible says you're the potter and I'm the clay. And I just give you the right to shape my life into what you want it to be. In Jesus' name. Hey, let's close with this way. We're going to have one last song before we go. But I always want to make opportunity for prayer. Perhaps there's something that is lingering in your heart and you'd like to pray with someone on about. Uh, uh, perhaps something in this message really touched you. Perhaps you're in a financial difficulty, have a big decision you want someone to pray. Whatever it may be, we'll pray about anything and there won't be any pressure of time. The most important thing we'd like to pray about today is your personal relationship with God. And as we've talked to you about generosity today, I want you to remember with me that God is the great example of giving. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to look at the empty cross just a minute and realize that God sent his son, Jesus came to die on a cross like that for one reason and one alone, to be a substitute for my sins, to be a payment for my sins. My sins are a debt, my sins are an obligation. And one day all of humanity will stand before God and give an account for our life. One day our sins will be judged unless the judgment has gone to the cross. And this is the good news. God has offered a way of escape from the judgment of sin. If I would receive Christ as my Savior and if I would follow Him. And perhaps you're here today and the great need of your life is to give your life to Christ. The great need of your life is to get right with God. You have not found happiness in the world. You carry the burden and the guilt and the shame of the past. I mean, no, God offers forgiveness and a brand new start. And I'm going to encourage you today, when we play this last song, if you need to get right with God, if you need to make a step to Christ, I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross and let us pray for you as you make the greatest decision of your life. Go ahead and begin to sing right now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. If you need prayer for anything, you come. Most importantly, if you need to get right with God, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you and great to see you today. <laughs>